You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad and over the past few weeks we've chatted with some of the directors of Film Screen at Toronto Irish Film Festival and one of those films, The Camino Voyage, is also included in the trinity of films at the Kitchener-Waterloo Irish Festival. It will be screened there on the 12th of March at 7.30pm at the Registry Theatre at 122 Frederick Street in Kitchener. And also at the Toronto Irish Film Festival at the TIFF Lightbox at 350 King Street in Toronto. Camino Voyage features Academy Award winning Irish musician Glenn Hansard, who was in the movies The Commitments, Sing Street and Once. The Camino Way is a modern day Celtic Odyssey. A crew, including a writer, two musicians, an artist, and a stonemason, embark on the Camino by Sea in a traditional boat that they built themselves as they embark on the two and a half thousand kilometre voyage from Ireland to Santiago. De Compostela. And the movie is directed by Donal O'Kelleher. Donal has worked as a director and editor of films made for cinema and for broadcast. And his wide-ranging experience includes fiction, experimental and documentary films. His US-based experience as a freelance editor includes the Journey into Buddhism trilogy, of which the third title, Vajra Sky Over Tibet, was theatrically released in the US in 2006 and broadcast nationwide on PBS. He also worked with the acclaimed Iranian director Amir Nadiri on Marathon, Five of the independent feature films that Donald worked on in the past 15 years have received theatrical releases. His Ireland-based experience as director and editor include work with the Irish Film Board and National Irish Broadcasters RTE and TG Cahar. Donald Tafalteroth, welcome, and it's great to have you here for a chat. Thanks a million, Austin. Before we talk about the Camino Voyage, a little bit on your background, and I mentioned in the intro you've been in the business a long time. You've been involved in what are... Films that are quite well known out there, you've been involved in Marathon and many more. When did you get involved in the movie industry and what brought you into it? Well, I I left Ireland when I was about 19 and I moved to New York City and I was always creative. So I wanted to go to art school when I was young, but I was told it was a waste of time by my parents and they they might have been right. So I went and I did a, a proper degree instead, but um, so I had a day job when I went to New York City, and then I went, I started going to art school at night. So it was kind of good because you know I was paying my own way, and um, I was I was having to make a living during the day, and then I went to art school at night, and and after about five years of taking different art classes and stuff, I took my first film class. Now I always loved film and I always loved cinema, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to ruin that love by actually working in it. But when I, once I took my first film class, that was, that was the end of everything else for me. I said, okay, I found, my, I found my calling. Right. And, of course, you grew up in McCroom, so the thought of from McCroom to the movie industry and the lifestyle from McCroom to New York are so poles apart that I can understand your parents' fear and... I won't say lack of foresight, but just, you know, we all had to get a real job, and that was the bank, the civil service, the government were teaching. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, my uncle owned the cinema in McCroom right. in its day. It lasted until the 80s, and um, and it's kind of interesting how things have changed. You're, you're right, I mean, you really had to go to New York to study film in those days. There was very little in Ireland in those days. And I remember even thinking about going to London to go to film school, but there was no real option to come back to Ireland to study once I started studying film. Right. 
Um, but I was in New York, and God, you're in the epicenter of everything there. You really don't have to, you know. I was actually living right next to School of Visual Arts on 23rd Street in Manhattan, so I was literally three doors down to go to film school in Manhattan. Um, but uh, but at the same time, it's amazing how things have changed in Ireland. My God, you know, there's um, a friend of mine who lives in Balavori back the road. His son is just turning 20 this year, and he's already won seven awards for films he's been making for the last eight years. Right, right. So, so it's, it, it really has transformed, especially in the last 10 years in Ireland. I mean, there, there's, there's really good cinema being made by people in Ireland that I don't even know. You know, 10 years ago, you'd probably know most of the key players and everything. But nowadays, wow, it's really transformed. You see, back at that time, there would have been Ardmore Studios. And that was about it. And it was a very, I won't say elitist, but it was very much probably a very narrow focus. Would it be fair to say that possibly somebody that you worked with in uh, the Camino Voyage <coughs> was a part of what was maybe a pivotal point? In other words, that the commitments may have been uh, the first movie in a way to break a mold. It was, but the commitments, after all, was directed by Alan Parker, an Englishman. Yeah. Yeah. So um, um, it, it took a while for our own filmmakers to kind of find their feet and everything. But it was amazing. I remember seeing the commitments in New York, and it was subtitled, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, it, it was right, because I was with a Chilean friend at the time, and she had no idea what was going on, what was going on, on the screen. Right. Uh, but yeah, Glenn, Glenn was part of the commitments, 1991. Hard to think it was that long ago. Now, yeah, it was just around the time when I was, you know, getting my feet in New York at the time. But, but in, while, while it may have been Alan Parker as an Englishman, it came out very much as an Irish movie. It did, absolutely. And I yeah. would say, be fair to say that that changed the culture of perception of an Irish movie. It did. I was written by Roddy Doyle as yes, well. So yes. I mean, that made a, a big difference. Absolutely. No, it, it did. Films like those, you know, My Left Foot, they kind of led the way. Jim Sheridan, I mean, yes. God bless him for all the work that he did, you know. Um, they, they led the way. And once the floodgates were open, my God, there's lots of filmmakers pouring through now. And not just in what would be <coughs> traditional Irish movies, because we see with Cartoon Saloon and the work they did on The Breadwinner, that the influence of the Irish in the movie industry uh, is pervasive in so many aspects of it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we've always been renowned as storytellers. So it was, it was really only a matter of time before we kind of found our footing with the craft of filmmaking, which mm -hmm. I think we have now. I mean, we've got amazing world-class film filmmakers in Ireland, not only directors, but cinematographers and all aspects of filmmaking. And, um, you know, that's a credit to to film to the film board, really, and so many people who work in the Arts Council and all of those initiatives that have supported filmmaking for so long. Um, I mean, they're almost becoming victims of their own success now because there's so many filmmakers. I don't know if the country is big enough to support them all. You know? <laughs> now, many of the directors I've chatted to over the last number of weeks are directors of short films, and there's a tremendous short film um, section in the Toronto Irish Film Festival. There's two days, the Saturday and the Sunday. So it gives exposure to the upcoming directors. What a lot of them have told me is that they look on the short film as their calling card to try to work towards a full feature. Did you have to go down that road or how did you approach that? 
Um, I kind of did and I kind of didn't. When I lived in New York, I worked on independent feature films, uh, first as an assistant director and then later as an editor. So I kind of worked in the the long format um, professionally for a very, very long time. So I learned that, you know, the the 90-minute format, it's amazing. It's so different than 60 minutes or anything shorter than that. It's, It's a whole... It's it's almost like a novel as opposed to you know a, a different type of book, um, but of course I made short films along the way, mm-hmm. um, mostly experimental films actually and fiction films. I had a I had a really long relationship with the uh, avant-garde experimental film scene while I was in New York, so a lot of my earlier films would have reflected that. Right, and again, you did documentaries, and in a way, many ways, the Camino Voyage. It is a documentary, the Camino Voyage. Um, what is it about the documentary that appeals to you? Well, there's a lovely quote from Jean Rouch. He's the he's the grandfather of cinema verite in France, and um, the, the quote goes something like, you know, that 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 regular life is is so amazing. It's something that fiction could never really reflect. And, um, you know, I was always very curious as a youngster. One of the main motivations to move to New York City was to be exposed to world cultures and not having to travel around the world because it it all pops up in New York City in one way or another. So I've always been really interested in how we live and in how different cultures live. And documentary is the perfect medium for exploring that. What I find ironic in that statement is, um, in one way, it's so true, but... Oftentimes, on a totally separate level, you would see people. People would say when they see a beautiful scene, be it Gugan Barre or some, somewhere like that, they say you'd nearly think it was a painting. Whereas, you know, here you have the perfect perfection in reality, and they think it was a painting. Whereas this quote is saying the best re- the best truth is in reality. Yeah, absolutely, and also the strangest tr- truths. You know, I mean, there 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 are real-life stories that if you made them up, they would sound too fantastic. True. Now, yeah. you've done work with uh, RTE and TG Cahar, and uh, the Camino Voyage is uh, in both Irish and English. There's, um, so, the working in the Irish medium, and you mentioned like you have connections to the Gaeltacht. Uh, how do you find working in the Irish language? You know, I, I, my grandparents spoke fluent Irish, but my parents didn't. And uh, living in New York City, you know, I had, I had high school Irish, secondary school Irish, but I was never really fluent at it. And it was something I always wanted to correct. And uh, it, it reminds me of something Seamus Heaney said about understanding the landscape of the place where you come from, because a language comes out of the landscape. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really took that to heart because ever since I've re-engaged with the language, I understand the music and I understand the landscape of Ireland and I understand the soul of the country in a totally different way. It's got a lot more depth now. And then, you know, w- with working on films like The Camino Voyage, I managed to get to hang out with some of my heroes. You know, people like Danny Sheehy and Brendan Begley they're of a generation that is slowly disappearing mm-hmm. in this country. And I've been fortunate enough to, to spend time with that generation because, because once they're gone, there's going to be a, a, jewel, a jewel of who we are is going to be slipping out of our hands, you know? Indeed. So, so without, without the ability to communicate with them in our native language, it would have been a whole different experience. So, so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really grateful 
that uh, I've had this opportunity over the last 10 years since I returned to live in Ireland from New York. When you mentioned the soul, um, the Camino Voyage is a soul-searching journey. And always, it's a pilgrimage, it's described as such. And <clears throat> I know of some years ago, uh, I made a point of going along Thomas Street, uh, knowing that the origins, or James Street, Thomas Street, is the, the origin of the Irish Camino, is down yes. along there. Um, but you mentioned uh, Danny Sheehy and Brenda Begley. You also had Liam Holden, Brenda Moriarty, and Glenn Hansard as part of the team. Um, <clears throat> the Camino Voyage. What inspired you to take the Irish Camino? Well, it's a funny story. I was actually finishing up on another documentary at the time, and I was in my studio signing it off with the commissioning editor at the time, and he kind of turned around to me and said, you know, there are these four guys going out on a Vogue next week, and they're going to do the Camino by sea. He said, you'd be the perfect person to make a film on this. Would you be interested? And I thought to myself, you know, I, I was just coming to the end of a long stretch and I really needed a break. I was kind of running out of steam and energy. And, you know, when you make a documentary, you pour a lot of yourself into the thing. And then you have to take a bit of time to kind of put yourself back together before you before you move on to the next project. And I was really at a point in my life where I just needed to take a break and a bit of a sabbatical and just kind of repair myself. So I was I was kind of thinking of saying no, but then I asked him who was going on it. And as soon as he told me, I said, God, even if they were going to drag a, a, a wet bag across the Mongolian desert, I'd go and make a film with that, that right. crew. You know? Right, right. So we, we, it was 10 days before they left when we heard about it. So I had to scramble to put a crew together in the 10 days and uh, to meet with them and everything. And uh, it, was, it, it was a challenge, but, but it was a challenge that paid off. You know? Given that it was 10 days, what was their initial reaction? Because if you're, by the time they got the phone call, you're now down to probably seven or eight days. I know, I know. Well, there's a few interesting dimensions to that. One is I'm a corkman, and they're mostly Kerrymen. <laughs> so there was, a, there was an interesting energy to begin with. Right. And se- secondly, at the time, I was a hired director for the National Broadcaster. And, uh, you know, they'd have experiences for, for, for what that looks like, etc. So there was a certain amount of, you know, I, I remember doing interviews with some of the lads and they'd say, oh, you know, you, you, have, you have enough now, you have what you need, do you? Because they'd be used to appearing on television. But this, is, this was a long format observational documentary, right. you know, with, with the big screen in mind. So I'd say, no, no, not yet. And I'd keep on going. So they, they were wondering what the hell was all the footage being shot for. But... You know, it, it took a while to get to a point where they kind of realized that I was invested in this over the long haul. And then interestingly, in the second year, because they did it for six weeks, a year, over three years, in the second year, the national broadcaster dropped us a few, uh, almost uh, almost 10 days before we left. And it was, a, it was a real crisis. So I had to take the production over myself and with very little funding and very little money carry on the journey with them. And it was interesting because, you know, that was a... That was a challenge on many levels for, for me and for the production. But it was interesting because the, the energy totally changed on the shoot because the guys realized, oh, my God, he's kind of on the journey with us now. You know, it's, he's not just looking at this from the inside, the outside in. Right. He's actually part of the team. And, and, and we did. We all became part of the kind of extended team over the, over the three years. So when in, in shooting something like this over three years, there's naturally going to be changes in 
uh, every aspect of people's lives. So when you kind of shoot something and then you pick it up 12 months later, um, it's the same continuity isn't there, but yet the challenge is to make sure the continuity continues. Um, how, and this is purely a pragmatic logistical question, if you're rowing, as this is in a rowboat from Dublin to Spain, after six weeks you're out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, do you get helicoptered back home and the boat lifted back? or so? And then is it dropped there 12 months later? Yeah, yeah. Well, the lads were very good about making contact with locals right. as they went along. So everywhere they landed at the end of their six weeks, they always found somebody locally who just, I mean, doors were open to them when right. people saw what they were rowing in from Ireland. Right. And, and it was interesting because they pull in, you know, sometimes into ports and stuff like that. And people pull into these ports all the time, but they're usually in big yachts or big boats and people don't bat an eyelid at these things. Right. But as soon as they saw the lads rowing in on this boat that essentially looks like something out of the Middle Ages, you know, the first question is, who are you? What are you trying to do? And the second question would always be, what can we do to help you? Right. So, so the lads would always find a home for the boat. Um, you know, the first year they got as far as Brittany and they found a local boat builder there who was more than happy to, to keep the boat until they came back. And then we all got the ferry back, you know, from Brittany that year. We all got the ferry back. Right. To Ireland, and then we were on the ferry looking out at the open ocean, thinking, "My God, did they actually row across all of this? What the hell were they thinking? You know, yeah. what were we thinking?" And then the other logistical issue or question I have is: in many, be it a documentary or a movie, but a documentary particularly, you're going. There are scenes usually where they're taken from, say, inside the boat, and then there's scenes that you see the boat from a distance. So, was there a, a, a second boat travelling to allow you to work? There had to be. There was at certain times. Um, we, we we accompanied them fully on a boat until we got to Brittany because the sea, the sea journey is, is very challenging and dangerous, so they definitely needed a safety boat alongside them for that part. But once we got to Brittany, it was all short hops from there. I mean, the, the Naval and the Curragh, they're really designed for you know shorter journeys at sea. You're never out overnight, except when we came over the Irish Sea and the English Channel and everything like that. But, but the rest of the time, they came in every evening and camped and went back out the following morning. Okay. So a lot of the story would take place on land as well. So we followed them on land, and then we would get lifts from local fishermen along the way and go out and meet with them. You know, so it was a nice combination of both, really. Right, right. Yeah. You mentioned that you know, in the initial part of the journey to uh, Brittany uh, was across a wide expanse of ocean, and you're coming back on the, the ferry and you're thinking, they rode this. It couldn't have been... What, to go out and row in the, the ocean is not a simple thing, and it presented challenges, and this is going to be reflected in the movie itself, of course. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were lucky. We had a very experienced crew with Paddy Barry and the crew of the Chacaron, which included um, an, an amazing diversity of people, but it included Liam O'Murlaha, the poet, as well. Right. So um, they're, and they're, they're all really experienced seamen, as well as the, the four on the naval itself, you know. So, so I, I, when they came to cross the, like the Irish Sea was pretty amazing because we were waiting for about a week for the right conditions to cross. And when we crossed, the sea was like a bowl of soup. It was the calmest sea I've ever seen in my life. Right. right. And it was just such an amazing thing. 
The English Channel was a different story. They, they also got stuck for about 10 days waiting for the right conditions to get across the English Channel. Um, but then the conditions changed halfway across, and that's, that story is kind of told in the film right. as well. Yeah. It is a voyage. It's an odyssey. And uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, there's a, there was an aspect of the soul in this odyssey in the traditional pilgrimage. And I was reading somewhere recently that uh, Santiago de Compostela, I think it was established as a pilgrimage point somewhere back it was the 12th or the 1300s. Um, and since then there have been uh, voyages. And the Irish have been doing that voyage. Irish monks were doing that voyage, as I understand it, as far back as 12th and 1300. They were. And, you know, people would go down to the docks in Dingle at the time. They'd go down to the docks in Cork, all around the country, and they'd ask, are you going anywhere near a Colonia? Because that would be the docking port, really, before you'd embark, or anywhere in northern Spain, you know? So these would be commercial ships quite often, and people would buy a passage on those ships. Even to get as far as Bordeaux would be close enough, and people would get off in Bordeaux and walk from there, so... People would quite often just go down to the docks and see which ships were available and take the closest ship that they could get to Santiago and then walk the, the rest of the way. So it's been gone on for quite a few hundred years at this stage. And, and I understand, as far as I recall, there were some uh, bodies, uh, monks, I think, uh, discovered in Ireland, uh, their bodies, and they had the shell. And this was going back to the 1400s or something as well. There is. There's a very long connection. There's a very long connection there. Now, the other aspect that was interesting to me, and it makes total sense once the penny drops, as they say, that the starting point in Ireland is a very famous location. St. James's Church in Dublin. And St. James's Gate down the road. Well, yes, that's true. That's true. Fuel for the spirit from two different points of view. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So here you have St. James's Gate for Guinnesses and just up the road, St. James's Church, which was the official. Because I remember seeing on the at, outside the church that you could go in and get your passport stamped. Yes, yes. And that's where the, the lads actually went there that morning before they, before they took off from, from Dublin on the Liffey. Yeah. Right. Now, the soul-searching aspect of it, if, uh, these guys go off and they're rowing a boat together. Um, I always know that I was told when you go out on a boat, particularly a small boat, you need to have a very close and good relationship with the people you're going to spend the time with because there's not a lot of room to manoeuvre. Absolutely. Three, six-week journeys, I'm sure, can put uh, nerves to their fraying point in some cases it did it did but you know i think um that's one of the lessons really you learn on a on a, on a journey on a journey like that you know you learn how to make the best of what you have and you you learn to to row with the crew that you're rowing with right and and there are differences and there are compromises but you know not 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 any more than one has in certain periods of one's life and, and I think the Camino is really good to teach that lesson, to share that lesson, you know, about how to overcome things and how to engage with things and how to push yourselves to the very limits in certain ways and still come out in one piece the other side. 
you you walked the Camino section yourself then with the guys? Um, no, we were driving alongside them uh, and following them uh, in certain uh, ways. But we ran up and down a lot of hills to try to get the shots we needed as we were following them on land. Okay. Yeah. Have you any desire at this stage then, having done this, to actually go and walk it? Well, you know, my wife came out for 10 days in the middle of the shoot in, in 2016, and um, the lads were out for six weeks, so the plan was to take 10 days off in the middle and then pick them up later. Um, and we went off for a few days, and then we met the lads, but, you know, we were all, we had so much fun together on, in, 20, in, in every year that we ended up spending most of the time with them. Right. Um, so it was great for, you know, my, my wife to experience that because she obviously... Had, had had to share a lot of the challenges of all of the documentary making, but didn't actually get to experience the trip itself until then. So she kind of really got to appreciate it at the ground level. And then another thing that happened was that nine months later, our son was born. So our son is another gift of the Camino for us. So, so we, we, we all feel a good connection with it. So somewhere along the way, I'm going to take my son back to visit all those, all those places. And also... Uh, definitely we'd love to go back and revisit a lot of the people that we met on right. the course. You know, maybe for the, the 10th anniversary of the film or something like that, it would be a great thing to do. And the challenges that the guys themselves ran into, um, there were difficulties. Uh, did they both capsize at one stage? Well, it did, actually. Um, yeah, no, it, it did, yeah. But that was... Um, they, they did eventually reach Santiago in, in one piece. Right. Um, but there was there was an accident the year after they reached Santiago. Yeah, yeah, with the same boat. That's that's still in Galicia at the moment. Yeah. Right, right. Um, the five participants, Danny, Liam, Brendan, uh, Brendan and Glenn, um, sharing an experience like this over three years, uh, they're closer than brothers, obviously, at this stage. They would have to be. Um, and you're uh, quite not maybe not a brother. You're probably a first cousin. <laughs> definitely no. There's been um, no. There's we definitely feel like an extended family at this stage for sure. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time with each other during the trip, and then since the film came out, the film came out premiere this time last year actually in Dublin, and it's been on the festival circuit ever since. We had a a nine-week run in cinemas in Ireland. So we went around and we did a lot of Q&As in different places at different times. So we've been on the road together now, God, for five years, I guess, in, in one way or another. So we've definitely we've definitely become a little bit of a family at this stage. And you say you're on the festival circuit. I say it's Toronto, uh, March 3rd, and on March 12th, it's in Kitchener-Waterloo in Kitchener. Um, how was the Irish reaction, and how has audience reaction been to the movie? Well, you know, we opened up for a week-long run in cinemas in Ireland, and it ended up being nine weeks altogether. Um, there's a screening again. It was scheduled to run for a week in Belfast, and that was a few weeks ago, and the last screening is now tonight. Right. Uh, because they, add, they had to add additional screenings because of the demand to see the film and stuff. Um, I think it struck a core, and I think it struck a nerve with people, in that, you know, I think we're, we're living in a time of great challenges, I think. And, um, you know, in the film, the lads engage, engage on a massive challenge with a tiny traditional boat that they made themselves. And I think people are kind of getting a really key 
message from that, and and and, it, and it's resonating. You know, it's sparking their imaginations about how how much we can still do. You know, with our own resources, when we decide it's something that we can do, mm-hmm. and um, it seems to have sparked an awful lot of imaginations. I think that theme, you know, it certainly seems to have resonated with audiences here. And um, I, I mean, we've we've all been lifted really by the the reactions of audiences that we've, we've screened it. You know, not only in Ireland. I mean, screened as far away as as, as New York and. Um, Los Angeles and, and Moscow, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we've had that reaction almost everywhere we've 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 screened it, and it's it's been it's been uplifting. It really has. I suppose it would be fair to say, and I don't mean this anything other than in the best possible way, that it's a very neutral documentary, and by neutral I mean there's no agenda. It's not trying to promote a point of view to the left or to the right but as you say it's the human spirit well it's interesting with a boat because you can't go left or right you'll crash you'll have to go <laughs> straight ahead so, so in that way I think you're right <laughs> indeed um, so don't Donald, it is. I want. To, I'm going to wrap up there, and I'm really looking forward to. I haven't seen the movie. I'm really looking forward to because my wife and I we walked uh, part of the Portuguese Camino uh, two years ago, and we were planning on going back, and we are planning on going back and doing it again or doing another segment. Great. And we found it very. Um, it, w- it was a wonderful experience, uh, in so many different levels. It was a wonderful experience, and you know while the challenge of rowing across the ocean is very different than flying and landing and then walking from hotel to hotel. Um, we, uh, it certainly was still was a wonderful experience. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been fantastic chatting with you, Donald, and congratulations on a fantastic movie. Oh, I did have... You mentioned early on that uh, RTE uh, pulled back their production and you had to take it over. Given its success, have you recovered your... You're, are, you, are you making? Did you make any money, or hopefully you've been able to reimburse yourself and come out the right end of it? Austin, if you're looking to make money, I would definitely not recommend making documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> not not the right field at all. Right. If you want to make that, but right. you know, if you manage to make more or less a living doing something you love, then that's 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 the, really the reward reward in it. Indeed. Well done. Yeah. Austin. Is it going to Many long months of darkness at sea, complete failure, possible glory if we return. So, you know, how can you say no to that? Vienen desde Irlanda. Madre de verdad. Son unos auténticos celtas.